Turn with, with me in your Bibles to Psalm 23. My guess this is probably one of the most beloved passages of Scripture, if not the most beloved and one of the most well-known uh, parts of all of Scripture. Uh, it's beloved because of just the beauty of the description of our shepherd. But what also makes it so popular is simply the simplicity of it. The language of it is just easy to understand. It is clear what the psalmist is saying. And so because of that, we're drawn to it. We want to read it, and it sinks deep into our souls to give us a picture of the shepherd we need in order to walk through a tumultuous and challenging life. Let's stand and hear God's word as I read Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is God's word. Let's again look to him in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word that you speak to us in a plain way that we can understand. And you speak in a way that addresses the longings of our heart to know that we're loved, that we're watched over, and we're cared for. Oh, Holy Spirit, come and open our eyes, open our hearts, that we might grasp this this morning and believe it. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. I read a story of a ship captain who was well known. He was well known for his competence, his skill at captaining a ship. And the story is of he and his first mate who served with him for 15 years. For 15 years, the first mate uh, shadowed and watched to take in everything he could from this captain so he could hopefully one day be as successful and competent of a ship leader as the captain he served. And so for 15 years, he watched over and, and, and followed and looked. And one particular thing he noticed that struck him and caught his attention was that every single day, every morning, as the captain began his day, he would walk over to his desk, pull out a key, open a small drawer in the desk, and take out a book. And he would open the book. He'd glance at the page kind of nod his head, put the book back in the drawer, lock the desk, and then move into the day. And so the first mate began to think, that's the secret to success. There's where he keeps the knowledge I need to be successful. What's in it? And so finally the day arrives. After 15 years, the captain's retiring. The first mate's being promoted to take over the ship. And as they celebrate the captain's retirement, the captain turns to the first mate and he passes on command of the ship, including the keys to the desk. As soon as the celebration ended, the new captain races down to the desk, hands shaking with excitement. 
And he opens the drawer. He pulls out the book. He opens the page. And there are six words. Port is left. Starboard is right. Six simple words. Kindergarten truth, left and right. But I guarantee if you don't remember, port is left, starboard is right, you're probably going to crash. We as believers living in a hard and difficult world sometimes just need to return to some kindergarten truths. And that's what Psalm 23 does for us. I think we would all acknowledge that these past 14 months have been some incredibly difficult months. I mean, it's been filled with uncertainty. From day one of this entire pandemic, there's been uncertainty as a new disease rolls out worldwide and we hear one thing one day, another thing another, as scientists discover new truths and understandings and we're whipsawed around and it's exhausting. In making plans, whether in business or here, you know, our comment was, don't make any plans in pen. Do it on a whiteboard because you're probably going to have to wipe it down and start with something new. And it's exhausting when you're always on alert saying, what's next? I don't know what's coming. It's physically, emotionally, mentally draining. It's been a challenging year. We've had to reinvent how we do business. We've had to reinvent how we do our work. We've had to reinvent how we do school. We've had to reinvent almost everything, and it's been challenging and exhausting. It's been a year of incredible loss. I look back over the last 14 months, and I see people's lives and the opportunities for celebration that have been taken away. And lost the opportunities to grieve properly that have been taken away and lost the opportunity for connection and companionship that have been prevented the opportunities for adventure and life that we normally have have been lost and life has been lost it has been an incredibly difficult and challenging year and one of the great concerns as we come out of this time and the world begins to reopen is over the last few weeks I've seen numerous articles by mental health professionals concerned with the long-term impact on people's emotional and mental health that there's a real concern that people are going to be affected pretty significantly So I wanted us, just as believers, to go back to some simple truths about our God, our shepherd, that can help reorient us, bring us to a place of rest and restoration so that we can move into our world from a place of spiritual and emotional health. So we're going to look at just four simple kindergarten truths about our shepherd. The first one is that our shepherd provides for us. The psalmist begins, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord's our shepherd, we will not want. What David, the psalmist, is saying here is that our desires and our longings will not go unmet. 
Our desires and our longings will not go unmet. What he's saying is he's saying our desires are good. The desires we have are good. Now there's some, some way or another in the development of our thinking as Christians, it seems like the idea has seeped in is that our desires are bad and wrong and we need to push them away. But David is saying, no, I, won't, I will not want. The desires and longings I have will be met. But how will they be met? They'll be met by our shepherd. Jesus himself is the satisfaction of all our longings and desires. The shepherd is ultimately our satisfaction. But as we think about these desires that God desires to meet, longs to meet through Jesus, we make two mistakes. It's, it's captured in this quote from Alexander White, a Scottish uh, pastor from the 19th century. And he said, our notion of being victorious in life. Now, you could substitute for victorious. He was speaking of a specific situation uh, at that time. You could substitute our notion of being fulfilled in life, our notion of being satisfied in life. Our notion of being victorious or fulfilled and satisfied in life is when each man, according to his own ideal of what is best, manages to wring that ideal out of a reluctant world. What he's saying there is that we think our life will be fulfilled when our desire as we define it is met. And so I said, our desires are good, but what we often do is we can take a desire that's a good desire from God and subtly twist it and turn it so that it is a distortion of what God has designed. Specific example, we are made to love and be loved, right? God's made us to love. Our society has taken one small aspect of, of love, physical sexual love, and has elevated it to the apex as if it's the defining factor of what love is. That's a distortion. And the impact it's had on our society has been profound, profoundly bad. But that's just one small example of the ways good desires can be twisted and turned and distorted. So that's one problem with our desires is that we twist and distort them. And then, as White says, we manage to wring that ideal out of a reluctant world. We think it's all on us to achieve it and make it happen. That the world is reluctant. And I have to, through deceit or power or manipulation... Grab hold of that desire in any way I can, or otherwise I'll be left empty. But you see, what the psalmist is saying is that our desires are good, and our shepherd wants to fulfill them through himself. Let me give you an example. So those of you who know me know I, I love to run, and it's not just I love to run. I just love to be physically active, whether it's running Lifting weights, I just like to be physically active. I've thought about what's the desire underneath that? What's the deep desire of my heart that I'm really kind of just pushing that? 
and it finally hit me. I, I think it goes back to the idea using the Old Testament term shalom, a sense of wholeness and completeness, is that when I am physically active, I feel alive, completely whole, the way God originally designed us to be. And I feel that. And that's a good thing. God's designed us that way. But the distortion is when I begin to think I can actually control my long-term health. Or that I can actually push back time. Somewhere in my mind, I actually think I can win. But every day as a 60-year-old, I'll wake up with new reminders that that ain't happening. <laughs> I'm losing. But the distortion is I actually think I can do it. And the more I allow that distorted view of that desire to happen, the more I demand that my schedule allows it to happen. And so as I look back over some of my history, I can see ways that I've taken it upon myself to satisfy this desire at the expense of family, at the expense of availability in ministry, because I had to have it. Because I was going to achieve a desire that would keep me young forever. Do you see how that distortion works and how I take on myself something I simply can't do? It's a crushing weight, but when we take it on, it destroys everything. David is saying... Jesus himself is our shepherd, is the satisfier of our deep desires and longings. God gives us, as a gift, temporal things or possessions, temporal experiences, and temporal people who we get to enjoy, but who are merely a shadow of the desires and longings he wants to meet. So as long as I can look beyond the temporal experience, possession, or person to see Jesus as my satisfier, I'm good. But when I lose sight of God as my ultimate satisfier, boy, I get into trouble. And I think in this past year, as a lot of the activities and even people and possessions that we've been able to enjoy have been taken away, we've been left empty because we had forgotten that God himself was the satisfier of our longings. So as we re-enter the world, as we re-enter a world that's awakening and opening, do not allow those temporal possessions, people, or experiences to reassert themselves as the ultimate satisfaction of your soul. But they are merely a prism to point you to Jesus, who truly is the ultimate satisfaction of your soul. So that's the first reminder from this passage is that our shepherd provides for us. He is the one who meets our deepest longings 
and desires. The second truth about our shepherd is that our shepherd plans our path. Beginning in verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. The shepherd leads us. He guides us. He has a plan to get us to a destination. He plans our path. So the first implication is there's a path. But the path isn't all there is. It's temporary. There's a destination he's taking us to. Look, he leads me or he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. At the end, I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. God has a destination for us. But here's the problem. We forget that there's a destination out there and we get captured by the path. And sometimes the path is ugly and it's barren and it's empty. If you were to go to the Middle East, the area around Israel, you would get a real picture of what it looks like. So the shepherd has his flock of sheep in a pasture. And as the grass is consumed, he begins to make the choice to take the sheep to another pasture so that they can be fed and taken care of. But unlike here, if you drive down 119 and you see the horse farms whatever, you could just move from one pasture to another. It's no big deal because grass is everywhere. There's not really a path. It's just open a gate from one fence pasture to the next and they start eating again. But in the Middle East, it involves leaving one green place, walking off into this rocky, craggy area, often over a mountain, around the cliff, and you don't know where in the world is the next pasture. And sometimes that's the way our lives feel, doesn't it? That God has taken us out of a good place, and all we can see around us is barrenness and brokenness. And we forget No, he has said there's a green pasture. There's a home ahead. As we sang earlier, we see the battle. He sees the victory. We see the ashes. He sees the beauty. He has a path. Sometimes it's barren, but there is a destination that's good and beautiful and satisfying. So will we believe him? Or will we be captured by the process of walking down a barren path? I can think back in my own life. I was 25 and my father died. And you can imagine as a 25-year-old, what what did I experience? Of course, there was grief and loss. But there was a lot of anger and a hardening of my heart. Of, God, why would you allow this to happen? But now, 30, 35 years, yeah, 35 years, yeah. Uh, Math doesn't come as easy anymore. Um, 35 years later, I can look back and I can see God was leading me on a path. Because who would I be today if he hadn't led me through that path? I can look back and I can can see my own natural tendency of Hard-hearted as God used that so that today I, I feel like I have a lot more sympathy 
towards those who are undergoing pain and loss than I would otherwise. As a 25-year-old at that time, I was still trying to figure out, like many 25-year-olds, what am I going to do with my life? And in retrospect, I think it's pretty possible that I might have just gone home and worked for a very successful family business and the life I have today wouldn't be here. I wouldn't have my calling as a pastor. I wouldn't have my family. But God has me where he wanted me because he led me down a path that was barren and rocky and broken. But he knew around the next corner, over the next hill, was a green pasture and still waters. And so as we walk into a world that's reopening, let us hold on to the truth that our shepherd has prepared a path. He's planned it out. Nothing's by accident. He will get you to the pasture he wants you in so that you can flourish and be the man or the woman he's designed you to be. Then the next point about our shepherd is that our shepherd protects us. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. Even in the presence of my enemies, we can eat. He protects us. As great as our enemy is, the, the shepherd is greater. I will fear no evil. I sit down and dine in the, front, in the face of enemies. Why? Because I have a shepherd who's strong and mighty and powerful, and he is with me. You are with me. That's exactly what Jesus said at the end of the book of Matthew. I am with you always. As believers, we are never left alone. Jesus has never abandoned us. He is always present with us. Jesus protects us. He protects us from our enemy and he protects us from ourselves. You know, it's no accident that over and over in the Bible, God uses the imagery of sheep to describe us. We act like sheep a lot. One of the big threats to a sheep is that as their wool grows and gets uh, just thicker and heavier, they can become top-heavy. And so if they walk on on non-level ground that's on a, on a slope or a slant, they can topple over. And Jesus actually has that imagery in mind in Matthew 9 when he sees uh, the crowd of people and he says they were like sheep distressed and helpless or distressed and upside down because that's what happened. The sheep turns upside down and when it turns upside down, it can't get right side up by itself. And so the sheep lays there, and its heart rate begins racing uncontrollably until it dies. But Jesus is the good shepherd. He has a rod to drive away the enemy and a staff with a crook at the end, and he can walk by and he can just flip the sheep back over. 
How often do hard and difficult things in my life cause me just to live like a sheep? You know, for me, the one of the most uh, memorable times that I think I did that doesn't have to do with the last 14 months of the pandemic, but was with the financial crisis of 08 and 09. And I can remember, you know, as the stock markets go through and crazy stuff, businesses are closing, and I see all my savings investments just kind of doing this, of just going into panic mode. Because one of my deep desires is security, particularly financial security. And so I'm in, like, full sheep mode. Man, I'm... Heart rate's racing, just fear. And I call a family meeting. Man, we got to cut out all our... Sp- I probably traumatized, particularly my kids. Because I was just filled with fear. And I forgot just the simple message. I have a shepherd who will provide. A shepherd who's planned a path. And he will protect me. And he'll get me back on my feet again. So as we walk in to the year, into an open world, we don't have to fear. We're not alone. We have a shepherd who's a warrior who fights for us and gently turns us right side up so that we can engage with life. And then the final picture we have is that our shepherd pioneers the way. The book of John, John calls Jesus the good shepherd. Jesus is the good shepherd. The book of Hebrews ends saying Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. And in Hebrews 12, we read that Jesus is the author, or another word is the founder, or another word is the pioneer. Jesus is the pioneer of our faith. Jesus is a shepherd. You know what's the difference between a shepherd and a cattle rancher? You lead sheep and they follow. The shepherd always goes before. A cattle rancher goes behind the, sheep, the cattle and drives them. The Bible uses the imagery of a shepherd because our shepherd Jesus has gone before us. Everything in Psalm 23, he experienced. He's the one who walked through the valley of the shadow of of death. He's the one who experienced death for us. In the garden, Jesus... Asked the Father, is there another way? But he believed that the path the Father had laid out was good. And that on the other side, for the joy set before him, he could endure the cross. In the wilderness, he was tempted. And Satan laid out desires, the desire to be cared for. A desire for honor. A desire for a people in a reign. It said, I can give it to you cheap. And Jesus said, no, I'll trust my Father who's, who will provide me everything. He went to the cross believing in the protective power of God to raise him from the dead. Our shepherd has experienced everything for us so that we can trust him 
and believe him. He has pioneered the way. We can live with confidence in our shepherd. Our shepherd provides all we need. He meets our deepest longings and desires. Our shepherd has planned the path that though rocky and barren, has a wonderful, beautiful destination. And all along the way, he is protecting us. And he relates to us with sympathy because he's experienced it all. Trust your shepherd. Let's pray. Father, oh, how we need to believe in Jesus. We really are like sheep. We're like sheep who've gone astray. We flip upside down. We panic and we run. But Jesus is good. Father, fill us with the assurance that we are cared for. And let us rest, rest in his goodness. Father, reorient our thinking to remember we're not alone. Refresh us as you lead us to still waters. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Please be standing and hear our benediction. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus, to whom be glory and honor 